Amen. Well, I'm excited to uh, be with you this morning. My name is Dave Wells. I'm on pastoral staff here. And uh, I'm going to share the third uh, message on this series that we have to do with money. I thought that last week that Jason did an outstanding job on the whole topic of tithing. Amen. It was amazing how he could preach the message and we could all feel good about tithing. You know, everybody was smiling. He was worried about it. He, he gave uh, his email, an email address where you could uh, <clears throat> send your complaints. I'm sure, you, I'm sure that not too many complaints were sent. I, I don't have the same kind of confidence this morning and that I'm going to do as well as Jason. Uh, I may be running for the car uh, right while I have you close your eyes in silent prayer for one minute. Because uh, I'm going to tell you how to live your life this morning. I'm going to tell you how to spend your money. So I saw that you all kind of give a little jerk and you set up a little straighter. So now that I have your attention, uh, let's talk about it. I want to say before I start that my email address is the same as Jason's, joel.wells at hccmail.ca. So just so you know. Uh, all right, Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you this morning that we can be together today and that we can uh, talk about uh, this, this vital topic Lord, uh, we, we don't really like talking about it in many ways, but Lord, we need to. And so, Father, we, we just pray that you'd speak to us by the Holy Spirit today. And uh, Lord, I'm just going to be saying what you're saying. And so, Father, just help me to do that. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for what's going to happen this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start off by, I'm talking about mammon today, the God of mammon. And uh, we'll talk more about what mammon means towards the end of my, what I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, but I want to say, first off, two things about money. First of all, money is one of the most powerful forces in our life. You know, I have here a $20 bill. You know, it's, it's a piece of paper that's maybe two and a half inches wide and about, I don't know, five, six inches long. But it's amazing how much power this piece of paper has. It's amazing. And in fact, this piece of paper, most war and most crimes are committed over this piece of paper. It's the reason for it. Most, most uh, violent crimes, the drug, the drug trade, on and on we could go. It's all about this. It can turn a grown man into a conniving, dishonest person. It can cause, it can motivate little children uh, to work. That's amazing. Um, it, it has, it just, if allowed, if you allow it, this money can take total control of your life if you, if you allow it to. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is are you in control of it or is it control of you? And that's what we want to talk about. And Jesus talked a lot about that. The second thing about money that's kind of interesting, well, one other thing, that money can stop you from having eternal life. It stops people from actually gaining eternal life. The story of the rich young ruler is a prime example of the power of money. So the second thing about money is that it's one of the most personal, private secrets of our lives. We don't like talking about it. We don't talk to each other about how much money we have. You don't usually talk to people about your investments or how you're doing financially. It's not a topic that we talk about. When we actually preach about it in a church service, it's amazing how tension can run through the congregation as soon as they find out what the topic is going to be for that Sunday morning. And we just feel nervous about it. We don't, we don't want to talk about it. We want to keep it private. We want to keep it secret. Uh, it, it, we, you know, when, when we announced this series, I was just thinking when Joel announced that we were going to talk 
four messages on this, I thought I could just feel like thoughts were going through people's minds. Not your mind, of course, but other people's minds. Uh, thoughts like, do we have to talk about this? I don't like talking about this. We already know everything about money. I mean, can we talk about something else? Can we talk about something new? Can we, can we, we know all about money. We don't want to talk about it. I'm sure some of those thoughts went through your head. I'd like to have a series on something else because this makes me uncomfortable. <clears throat> you know, Jesus talked a lot about money. There are, in the Gospels, there are 38 parables of Jesus. Almost half of them have to do with money. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels has to do with money. The Bible talks a lot about it. Why? Because it can be so dominating and so in control of our lives, and it reflects spiritually where we're at. We don't like to hear that. I remember preaching one time several years ago in another congregation, not this one, I mean it. And uh, I just said, you know, you give me your checkbook. Let me look at your checkbook for a little while. I'll tell you how you're doing spiritually. Uh, people don't like to hear that. But can I tell you that every financial decision you make is a spiritual decision? Every one. And so <clears throat> that's why the Bible talks so much about it. Now, the Bible tells us that, that God owns everything. I think we agree with that. Psalm, Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness of it, the world. And those who dwell in it. Not only does God own all the stuff, but he also owns us as well. Amen? He just owns it all. It's all his. And so Joseph, Jesus made it perfectly clear that God is the maker, and therefore he is the owner. And what, what does that make us? That makes us stewards. That makes us managers. We manage what God puts in our hands. So whatever resources God entrusts to us, and then that doesn't just include your material possessions, but that would include your life, your time, your talents, your abilities. It's all his. And we are stewards of those things. And one day, as stewards, one of the things that's automatically implied about a steward is that one day as a steward, we give an account to the owner of all things. So I will give an account in my life, for what I did with my life, what I did with what God put in my life, what I did with the abilities and the talents and the time that he gave me. The Bible clearly says that he sets the number of our days. He gives us each a measure of time. It's not all the same. But we are all accountable to give an account for what we did while we were on the planet. Every one of us will have that time. And Jesus said this. He said, from everyone to whom much has been given... Much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. The more that you have been entrusted with, the more accountability that you have. So life then comes to us as a sacred trust. We're stewards of what God has, called, has given us. If we take care of the little that God puts in our hands, there is incredible reward in eternity. He says, if you're faithful in a little thing, I'll make, then I'm going to give you much. For example, he, one day in Luke chapter 19, he told the parable of giving of a, of a man who went away on business, on a business trip, and he gave every person, he gave 10 people one mina, a piece of, uh, uh, I don't know what that, how much money that entailed, but everyone got the same. And when he came back, they had to give an account. And the first guy came up and said, you know, uh, uh, you gave me one mina, and I, I came up, and I invested it, and I have ten minas. And the Lord's response to that was, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I will make you 
ruler over ten cities. Wow. Ten cities. And, and of course, it went down until finally we got to the guy who buried his, his, uh, his mina, and it was taken away from him and given to the guy who had ten. And so that talks about accountability there. Now, one of the, the, the most powerful portions of Scripture that we have in the Bible about money is actually in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a portion of that, of that sermon. That sermon actually spans three chapters uh, in the Gospels, but uh, there's a, a section that he deals with money. We, we could call it the Sermon of the Amount. And here it goes, Matthew 6, uh, verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we see three imperatives in this portion of Scripture that I want to talk about this morning for how to properly steward our resources. The first one is we need to invest in the right storehouse. Now, interestingly enough, I believe when we look at the Bible that every human being is born with an instinct to invest. It's just something we all have to invest. And where you invest your resources is critical. But you have something to invest. That's what we see in the parables about the talents and the minas. It's talking about investment. And we have an instinct. And so you have two possibilities. Really what the Bible only gives us two possibilities. You can invest in earth the things of this earth, or you can invest in heaven. You have two choices. And which will it be? Where will you invest? And the issue is not whether you have treasure or not. We all have a certain amount of treasure, every one of us. We all have abilities. We all have time. We all have human resources. We all have some material possessions. It's not a matter how much you have. It's a matter of where do you choose to invest what you have. What are you investing in? And so what, what Jesus is saying is, if you store it in heaven, you're a wise investor. If you simply only invest in this world, you are a foolish investor. And so one of the main reasons is, is that he tells us that if you only invest, if you invest in this earth, eventually you're going to lose your investment. You will either lose it to thieves, you will lose it to corruption, you will, lose, you, will, you, will, you will lose your investment. It's guaranteed. I don't care how safe you think your investments are. If you only invest, whatever you invest in this world, you're going to lose that investment. See, Dave, how can you be so sure about that? Let me tell you why I'm sure. You're going to die. And when you die, you're going out naked. Amen? You're taking absolutely nothing with you. Do you agree? Amen? So you are going to lose every investment that you have in, that you invest in this world. But the investment that you make in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, you will never lose that investment. That investment is secure. That investment is safe. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive home to us. 
Where are we going to invest? If you think your investments are secure, go ask the people of Ukraine how secure their investments were. You know, before the war, a few years, just a couple of years ago, uh, people were living, working, had jobs, had investments. Some of them, many of them had good jobs, houses, apartments, and almost overnight, it was gone. Everything was gone. And people came, people started fleeing, if the ones that could. Some of them came to Canada. Some of them are actually in this church, in this congregation. And we heard stories of how they lost everything. They lost their, their housing. They lost their job. They lost their career. It's gone, just gone. They came basically with the clothes on their back. It was painful to, to see uh, what had happened, how fast that can happen. Say, well, you know, that won't happen to us in Canada. We're, we're safe in Canada. Oh, yeah? I don't care where you live in the world. There is no guarantee in this world that your investments are safe. You know, um, my grandmother, my, my father's side, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. My grandmother, my dad's side, died when I was in my first year of university. And uh, after she died, uh, I came home for that, for that summer uh, to work and save money for the next, next uh, semester of classes. And while I was home, my mom and dad said to me, Dave, uh, I knew my grandmother died. He said, it's time to clean out her house uh, and just, you know, empty her house and sell the house. So we, I went, so he asked me, they asked me if I would help them. And of course, I said yes. So I went, and it's interesting, the instructions that my parents gave me. He said, okay, Dave, we're going to clean out your grandmother's house. We're not just looking to remove her furniture and dishes and all that stuff. We need to search the house for hidden money because we know that your grandmother has hidden money all over the place it will literally be a treasure hunt and and so we found money in incredible places I remember pulling out drawers and seeing money taped to the bottom of drawers and it was under the bed and it was in every nook and cranny and we were just searching the house finding this money and this money was old money I mean it was brand new bills but by the time but my, my, my grandmother died in 1967, and some of this money had been hidden since the, since the 40s, and that was brand new bills, but they were antiques already, and, and, uh, and so it was brand new crispy bills that had ever been spent. You say, well, why was your grandmother hiding this money all over the house? I'll tell you why. She went through the Depression. She went through the Great Depression, and the banks failed. And people lost everything. And my grandmother went through that time. And she, lived, she experienced incredible poverty during that time. She couldn't feed her children. She actually had to foster out her own children, including my father, was fostered out because she couldn't feed them. Uh, she lost everything. So that, 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 that put a mark on her. That scarred her. So she didn't trust banks. So any extra money she had, she was taping it to drawers and finding places in the house to hide it. Uh, I got some of that money as an inheritance. My parents said, hey, Dave, you can have some of this money, and it's possible that some of this money, money is worth more than, than, than the value, of the, of the stated value of the bill, because it's an antique. So if I put it in the bank, it'll just be gone. I'm just going to get the, 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 uh, the numerical value of the money, but maybe the money's worth more. So I didn't put it in the bank. My, Linda and I had it in a cash box that we hid in our house. <laughs> and guess what happened? 
One day, thieves broke into my house and stole that money. <laughs> I got a shock out of my daughter-in-law here. They broke into my house, stole that money. And uh, kind, of, kind of ironic, right? Exactly what Jesus said would happen. Uh, if you store money on earth, thieves will break in and steal it. That actually literally happened. My grandmother, who kept that money so safe for all those years, I lost it. That's what's going to happen to your money, too. If you die and you have a lot of money, somebody else is going to spend your money. And they may not spend it the way you want it spent. That is almost guaranteed they won't. <laughs> Amen? And so, um, anyhow, the greatest thief of all of your investments in this earth is death. It's the greatest thief of all. And it's one you're going to have an impossible task to, to, to stop. Excuse me. You know, this, is, this whole issue of where you're investing was the issue that the Holy Spirit got my attention, which led me to become a Christian. Uh, before, I, before I became a Christian, many of you know my story, but I, was, uh, I, was, I didn't believe in God. I was an atheist, and uh, I was totally into the material world. Uh, I, had, uh, I was going to university for one reason, not because I loved knowledge. I was going to university to get a career so I could make more money. And that was my, all my dreams, all my goals were about money. And so one day the Holy Spirit arrested me in a university cafeteria over a cup of coffee and began to reveal to me that my investment in this world was useless, that one day I was going to die and it was all going to be gone. And that all that I worked for and labored so hard for would really be for nothing. And uh, that life is short. I was going to live a few short years, and it's all over. And this sense of futility came over me. And I realized, thought, wow, if that's all this life has to offer, is that we work hard, and we make all these investments, and we gather all these material things, and, and then we get it all together, and then we die. And somebody else uses it, but we don't use it. And I remember thinking to myself, how futile life is. And, I, and then the next God began, at that point, God asked me two questions. Well, what if there's a God? What if there's a heaven and a hell? Just what if there is? And that whole experience shook me up, which very shortly thereafter led me to becoming a Christian, because I realized, hey, there's another place that I can, I can invest in, where my investment is secure. You know, if you don't think, if you, if you think your investment's secure, go ask Job. Go talk to Job about how secure his, his investments were. He was the most righteous man on the whole earth. He lost everything in one day. Everything. The only thing he had left was the clothes on his back. He, was, he didn't even have his health. He was sick. He did have his wife, who gave him great counsel. She said to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you? <clears throat> That's what he had left. You know... <clears throat> If we invest our money where Jesus told us to invest it, we get an incredible high return. You know, in this world, if you, got, if you invested money and you got a return of 10%, 20%, 30%, hey, that'd be a great return, wouldn't it? Whoa, if you could get 30% on your money, wouldn't that be amazing? If you were guaranteed that investment and it was a safe investment, it wasn't some, some scam or some scheme, you'd say, whoa, I want to invest my money there. 
Well, you know, let me talk to you about the investment, the return that you get if you invested in, in eternity, in heaven, in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you'll invest it with me, I'll give you a 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold return. You know what that is in terms of percentage? That's a 3,000%, a 6,000%, a 10,000% increase. When you think of 30% versus 10,000%, is that even a comparison? God says, you invest your money with me, I'll give you a 10,000% increase on what you invest in my kingdom. Now that's a return. The other thing that God says is that there's a difference between, there's an interaction that takes place between your heart and your treasure. And we just read it. That where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so your, your, tr- your heart ultimately ends up following your treasure. Wherever you're investing in, eventually your heart follows your investments. So if I'm investing only in this world, my heart is there. My heart is in this world. If I invest in the kingdom of God, my heart is there. And so there's, a, there's that interaction. And of course... Say, well, I want to start investing. I want to, I want to, I want to get a good investment. So I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm going to direct my heart to start investing in the kingdom of God. So you start. Maybe you start with a tithe. Maybe you start with half a tithe. Whatever. You start. You start investing there. Eventually, what happens is then your treasure, in that case, your treasure is following your heart. But eventually, a reverse takes place. That your heart then begins to follow your treasure. The more you invest in it, wherever you're investing, it more and more captivates your heart and grips your heart. And that's why the whole issue of money is so powerful. <clears throat> well, let's, uh, let's start investing where Jesus tells us to invest. Now, <clears throat> let's, um, let's talk about the second thing. Second thing that Jesus talked about in this parable or this story told in the, in the Sermon of the Amount was that you have to have a right perspective, the right attitude about money. And he said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Well, what's he talking about? What do you mean a good eye a bad eye. A good eye is simply a singular eye. An eye that's focused on one thing. That's a good eye. A bad eye is a wandering eye. A bad eye is wandering all over the place. It doesn't have a set focus. And so the bad eye uh, is deceptive. The bad eye is a wandering eye. The bad eye makes us think that the light we have, we're, like, we're full of light, but actually we're deceived. We're full of darkness. The bad eye deceives us. So do you have a good eye or do you have a bad eye? If you say, well, I'm going to have a, an eye towards the kingdom and an eye towards the world. I'm going, to, I'm going to invest in both places. And so I'm going to be... And what God is saying is, no, it doesn't work like that. What is your principal focus of your life? Do you have a good eye or do you have a bad eye? Remember, everything you have, your life itself, 
your time, your energy, your resources. It all belongs to him. You are a steward of all those things. Now, if you have a bad eye, you think, well, I'll give a certain portion to Jesus, but the rest is all mine. I'm an owner of all those other resources. And that's a person who has a, a bad eye. And so people dominated by greed never see that they're greedy. I have, in my years of being a pastor, I have never had somebody come to me for counseling and say, Dave, you know I have a problem in my life? I'm greedy. Can you help me with that? It's never happened. I've never had that experience where somebody came to me and said, i got a problem with greed. Could you help me? Because no, nobody thinks they're greedy. Nobody. But we can look at somebody else and we can say, yeah, that person's greedy. We can see that, but we can't see it in ourselves. That's because when we have a bad eye, an eye directed towards self, an eye directed towards God, when we have a divided heart, then it blinds us. We are deceived. We do not see it. Jesus, uh, Paul said this to Timothy one day. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he said, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall in temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. You notice they wandered away. Why did they wander away? Because he had a bad eye. They wandered away. They had a wandering eye, and they followed that eye. You need to have a right perspective. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is you need to have the right master. Who's your master? Is God your master, or is money your master? Who is your master? And that's what he, in, in, in uh, going back to this portion of scripture uh, that we read initially, he said, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he would be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So in this portion of scripture, Jesus polarized two gods of this world. He actually personified money. He personified material things and said, it has God-like powers. It has a lot of power. In fact, the word mammon, uh, it, actually, it actually means uh, money. It involves possessions. It involves status. Whatever is valued more than the Lord is categorized by mammon. And the interesting thing about mammon is that it's a false deity. It has power. It has weight. It has mass. It has a gravitational pull. The more mass something has, the stronger the gravitational pull. Amen? So we have all, we've all experienced that pull of money. Have we not? Have you experienced it? Have you experienced that pull? That pull to grab you, to own you, to control you? I think every one of us has experienced that force, that pull on our lives. And so it's, it's because it's no longer just money. It's actually, it's mammon. It's a false god. It, it has the power of a deity. And that's what Jesus is talking about. 
And we see a prime example of that in the life on the story of the rich young ruler. It went like this. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. He said, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit a murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What am I still lacking? And then Jesus went for the jugular. Jesus said to him, If you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He was very wealthy. He owned a lot. He had a lot of mass, a lot of weight in terms of mammon. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it was impossible. He said it was hard. Here's a young man who had all these material things. He had all these material things. And he went to hell. He refused eternal life over the power of this false God. He lost his eternal life over it. Does that happen in our day? Oh, yeah. It happens. It happens a lot. He forfeited eternity, his eternal life, over money. You know, there's a, there's a, back in AD 79, there was an incredible volcano went off, uh, Mount Vesuvius. We've all heard about it. And there was a town right at the foot of that mountain called Pompeii. And uh, of course, when this volcano erupted, uh, people fled. I mean, it killed a lot of people. And, and uh, it encased that whole city in mountains of ash and lava. And for, for many, many years, uh, archaeologists have been excavating the ruins of Pompeii, and they're finding they, they, they actually find people who were caught running, or they were caught, they were just instantly killed in the in the whatever action they were they were involved in, and and so there's a as they in 1981 they just this, as they excavated they found this woman who they have now called the Ring Lady, and they found this woman who had obviously uh, had not fled as fast as she should have. And she was gathering all this jewelry, and she had all these rings and jewelry and brooches and necklaces in her hands. And she was running down the street, and a pyroclastic flow, whatever, got, got her and killed her and, and, and entombed her in ash. And when they excavated, they found this woman laying there with all this money, jewels, in her hands. But she didn't make it. She died. Uh, she's known as the ring lady. And she, those jewels that she had in her hands cost her her life, cost her everything. You know, it's interesting when you, when you look at the scriptures, how the Bible, what the Bible emphasizes. It's not wrong to have some money, obviously. I mean, money is a tool. We need money. It's not wrong to even, it's not wrong to save money. I mean, the Bible says, go to the ant, learn from the ant. It's not wrong to save money. It's wrong to hoard money. It's wrong to be greedy about money. It's wrong that we're investments, we're thinking of this world in terms of our investments rather than investing in the kingdom of God. It's wrong when money grips you and it's controlling you rather than you controlling it. That's where it becomes dangerous. And of course, with the very fact that we're handling money, we're handling something that's toxic. 
we're handling something that's dangerous. It's a tool, but it's a dangerous tool. The very thing that's useful to us can also grab us and cause us great harm. It can steal from us even our eternal life. Proverbs chapter 30 is kind of an interesting portion of Scripture. Verse 8 says, Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. So that I will, why? So that I will not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And that I will not become impoverished and steal and profane the name of my, name of my God. And so he's saying, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be poor. I want to have enough that I have food, covering, shelter, and I will be content. Amen? I will give me the portion that's entitled to me. Well, let me conclude. Well, Dave, you know, you may be sitting there and saying, well, Dave, I feel like Bunny's got a bit more control over my life than it should. What do I do? How do I... I know, I, I, know I, want, I should invest more in the kingdom, but I just find like it's so hard. It's so hard. How do I break the power of the God of mammon over my life? How do I stop that deity, that false deity, from controlling my life and misusing the resources that God has put in my hand, which one day I will give an account for? How do I, how do I break that power? How do I break that stronghold? Is there anything I can do? Yes, there's a couple of things you can do. One is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When, it's interesting that when you look at when people are overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they become very generous. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, they were born again, the Holy Spirit was poured out, it, it, and, then the, and the first church was formed. It describes what that church was like. And it says they were daily meeting in the temple and from house to house and everyone was sharing with anybody who had need. And you see these people giving away uh, possessions and sharing their possessions with other people who were in need. They were, what are they doing? Yes, they're meeting needs, but they're also investing in the kingdom of God. Amen. And they were, it had broken the power of the Holy Spirit, had broken that false deity had broken the power of that false deity over their lives, and people were becoming generous. In Acts chapter 4, you see a repeat of the very same thing. When after uh, Peter and John had been released from prison, and the church was starting to be persecuted, they gathered for a prayer meeting, and as they began to pray that God would make them bolder, and that they would share the gospel even more strongly, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on them again, and the, liter- the house literally shook. And the result of that was, one of the results was that people did the very same thing. They just started becoming generous again again and started sharing with anybody who had need you see that that when the holy spirit is really controlling us we control our stuff if the holy spirit is not controlling me then guess who is controlling me it's the other guy it goes one way or the other jesus well can i serve both no you can't you can have dual citizenship you cannot have dual lordship amen you cannot you cannot Jesus said, you cannot serve the Lord and serve mammon at the same time. You cannot. Either one is ruling your life or the other. They can't both be. Zacchaeus is an example of that. When Jesus, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, he was probably a thief. Most, all those tax collectors were. And he was a rich man, very rich man. And one day Jesus saw him in a tree. And he said this. I won't take time to read the whole scripture, but it's in Luke 19. 
And it said, he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down today. I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, He has gone into the to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'm giving back four times as much. And Jesus' response was, Today salvation has come to this house. Amen? Amen. That was his response. The God of mammon, the power of the God of mammon was broken. The second way that you can reduce the power and break the power of the God of mammon is give his stuff away. He doesn't like it. Amen? Give his stuff away. Just pry open your fingers. And sometimes you have to do that, right? Pry them open and say, I recognize that my hands are too closed, that the God of mammon has got more control of me than I want. I've got to break that power. How do I do it? Start giving his stuff away. Say, well, I have to do it with gritted teeth, but an act of my will, is it still valid? Yes, it's still valid. And it's amazing what begins to happen because your heart begins to follow your treasure. And all of a sudden, generosity starts taking control of your life and the Holy Spirit starts taking control of your life and away you go. And so we need to recognize that that is the way that we, that we break that power. So in closing, <clears throat> the right storehouse, the right perspective, and making sure God is the right and only sovereign, that will put you right on the money. Amen? Amen. Stand. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You know, if there's somebody here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, maybe you came here this morning and say, you know, I want eternal life. I, I, I mentioned in my sermon about eternal life and that you can have eternal life. And our life is short. And uh, believe me, your life, you don't have much time left. None of us do. I don't care if you're a young person. You don't have much time left. You know, 80 years or 7, 90 years in light of eternity is like nothing. Snap of the finger. Your life is limited, very limited. And most of your life, by far, will be spent in eternity somewhere. Heaven or hell. But you'll be spending it somewhere. Most of it. Eternity is a long, long time. I want to send my treasure up there. Amen? I'm going, to be, I want to be, I'm going to be needing it for a long time. But maybe you're here this morning and say, Well, Dave, I want eternal life. How do I get it? Uh, can I buy it? No, you cannot buy it. You cannot buy it with money. Uh, you get it by turning your life over to Jesus. Jesus, actually, he made you. He created you. He owns you. You belong to him. Now, if you want to live your own life your way, you can. He gives you that freedom. But, he also, but if you want to live forever, and you want eternal life, and you want your sins forgiven, the good news is that God the Father loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to die on a cross who died for your sins. And when he hung on that cross, he died for you. And he paid for every one of your sins. And he is your Savior. And he wants, you to make, he wants you to make him your Lord. And if you make him your Lord, he'll begin to take control of your life and direct your steps and begin to bless you and prosper you in ways you only dreamed about. Or maybe you've never dreamed about. It'll be out of this world, literally. And he will give you eternal life and you will live forever. I don't know anybody who's a sane individual who wouldn't want to live forever. 
And so you can have that as a free gift from him. Say, what do I do? You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You need to believe that when Jesus died on the cross uh, 2,000 plus years ago, he died for you. And your sins were put on that cross. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes. The word believe is you put your full trust in him. You put your weight on him. You put your weight on what he did for you on that cross. And so I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, say, I want, I want that, Dave. I want eternal life. I want, God, I want God taking over my life. My life's a mess. I haven't done such a good job with it. I want God to begin to rule in my life. You can have that before you leave this auditorium this morning. So I'm going to pray and I want you to pray with me. And if you make my prayer your prayer, and, you, and you're sincere about it, God will hear your prayer. He will respond to you. And when you pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit will come into your life, and you will experience something miraculous. You will become what the Bible calls born again. The Holy Spirit will come in your life and begin to change you from the inside out. And if you pray that prayer and you mean it, and when you leave the auditorium, I want you to go through those doors, and if you turn right, there's a window there, and there are people behind that desk, and you say, hey, I prayed that prayer, and I know you have a gift for me of a free Bible and a little booklet called Now, now What? And if you say, hey, I prayed that prayer with Dave this morning, and they'll give you a Bible and give you a booklet called Now What? And your journey begins as a believer. So let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you this morning. I confess, Lord, that I'm a sinner. I confess, Lord, that I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. I, confess, I, I am tired, Lord, of serving the God of mammon. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to serve the true God, the real God. And so, Father, I come to you and I thank you, Father, that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and that my sins were on that cross 2,000 years ago. And Jesus paid for all my sins. He took my punishment. He took my judgment. And he, he paid for them all, past, present, future. And, and, and Jesus, I invite you to come into my life uh, this morning and to take over, to take control of my life. Jesus, I want your life in me. I want eternal life. And so, Jesus, I invite you to come in. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And, Lord, it's my intention, Lord, to respond to you and to follow you all the days of my life. And so, Father, I want to thank you and praise you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, I pray for our congregation this morning. I pray for all of us here today. I pray, Lord, for those here this morning that are gripped too much by the God of mammon. I would dare say, Lord, that that's part of the majority of us, if not all of us. That God, the God of mammon has his tentacles in our life more than what we want to even admit. And we pray, Lord, today that you would help us. That, God, if there's areas in our life where we're blind, if there's, eye, if there's areas in our life, Lord, where, we, in fact, we've had a bad eye, we've had a wandering eye, we haven't been wise, I pray, Lord, you'd help us and you'd set us free from the God of mammon, that we might serve the true Lord. And, God, I pray you'd make us, give us good perspective, Lord. Make us wise. Let, help us evaluate life properly. Help us to be good stewards of that that you put in our hands. Lord, help us, Lord, to be smart and to invest in a place where there is no moth, no rust, no thief. And, Lord, where our investment gives us a 10,000% return. So, Lord, I just pray for your grace. 
upon us, Lord. Help us to be individual, generous people individually. Help us to be generous as a congregation. And Lord, let us be a church and let us be a people that are ruled by the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask you for your grace today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Have a good day. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together. We hope that you found insight and had moments that spoke to you right where you needed it. Before you go, share the love and post this inspiring video to your page. Who knows how many lives could be impacted by it. And if you aren't already, like, follow, and turn on your social media notifications to keep up to date on all the exciting things happening at our church. Here at Harvest City, we're all about connecting with our community and celebrating those big moments. Like if you've recently decided to fully dedicate your life to Jesus, we'll be your cheerleaders and help you take those first steps. And if you're going through a tough season, let us know how we can help you. Plus, we've got tons of programs for kids, youth, and adults if you're looking for a new community to be part of. To send us a message or check out more about HCC, head over to our website, harvestcity.ca. To all of our financial partners, thank you for investing into the kingdom of God. Your generosity allows us to keep doing what we're called to do and reach even more people. If you're interested in contributing, please visit harvestcity.ca slash giving for more info. Thanks for being here. Keep living your call and we'll catch you again soon.